What's up, everybody? My name is Dan, not David, but I am happy to be with you anyway. How are you all doing? Oh, come on. How are you doing? Yeah. Good, good. Well, hey, uh, I know David was just up here, and uh, he was asking where you all were from. Uh, I feel like he left out some important ones. First, anyone uh, from Alaska? You came a long way. Alaska came a long way. And then, of course, Oklahoma. Are you in here? Oklahoma. Okay, I just want to make sure there's a few of those. But here's the real question. How did you get here? So, so how many of you got up, got on an airplane, and took luxury all the way to Colorado? Anybody fly? Anybody fly? All right. Nobody likes you. Nobody likes you. All right, who got in a bus, a charter bus of some kind? Anybody? All right. Yeah, some of you. Anybody in just good old 15 passenger vans? Bless you, bless you. Anybody just road trip out here in a car? Road trip in a car? Or drive down the street in a car? Anybody drive down the street in a car? All right, here's a real question. I don't know if there is anyone. Did anyone drive through the night to get here? Anyone get up in the wee hours of the morning through the night? There we go. Okay, there. Oh, is that the hill? That feels like the hill. Yeah. Good. Well, hey. We are, we keep saying this, but we're so excited that you are here and for this week. Uh, we have such expectation of what God is going to do. And so I know we have done uh, a lot already. Are you okay if we keep going? Good. Are you okay if we pray a little bit more? We've prayed a lot. We're going to pray a little bit more. Is that all right? Good. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are here with us. God, I thank you that you have brought each person here, led them here. And Jesus, we just welcome you and we say, have your way with us this week. Father, I pray that in this next few moments that you would speak to us, that, that as we talk about you and talk about the scriptures, that our hearts would burn within us as you open the scriptures to us, as you speak to us. So we ask, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, one more question. How many of you, this is your first time to desperation? Anyone first time? Wow. Well, welcome. We're so glad you're here. I want to really, really quickly give you some history about desperation, who we are and what we're doing. This whole thing started years ago with, with young people in, in relatively small little prayer meetings crying out for a move of God in this generation. Just young people getting together a couple times a week to pray for a move of God. And with this conviction that, that we need revival again today. We need a move of God in our generation. How many of you agree with that today? And so I want you to know that desperation is not... We're, we're not here to get all hyped up on Jesus. We want to have a good time. We want to celebrate who Jesus is. But, but this isn't about hype. This isn't just a rally moment where we come together to, to feel good about coming together. What this is, is we want to be a people that, that live a certain way and that live by certain convictions and standards. And so where we're going this week, this is a bit of a spoiler alert, okay? So spoiler alert if you don't want to know where we're going. Where we're going is on Friday night, we want to we come together and give you the option to do this thing of, of signing what we call the vow. And the vow is a, a set of beliefs, it's a set of convictions that we want to live by, not just, not just this week, and not just for the next couple weeks, but, but actually in our lives and for this next year. And many of you sign, have signed this as you come year after year, and we keep signing up again. Because this isn't just about coming together to, to get excited. This is about the kind of people that we want to be. 
followers of Jesus. And so the vow really, there's four things. You'll hear us talk about them throughout the week. In every, different, in every session, in every sermon, and everything we're doing, you'll hear these words said over and over again. But the first one is passion. Anybody got some passion in the room? We want to be people that live with passion for Jesus, that hunger for him, that, that desire to meet him and seek after him and, and spend time with him every day, whenever we can, to, to run after him with all we have. We want to have passion for Jesus. Next thing that we're, we're going to talk about is intercession. And, and even as we've been here already, we've, we've started to, to pray a lot. And, and so we're going to pray. We have, we have prayer, like, like Carson just told us, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. over in the World Prayer Center. We're going to pray in every session together. We're going to pray a lot. But we don't want to just pray this week. We want to be people that pray. The, the third one is consecration. And what this is, this is the idea of living set apart, living unto the Lord, different than the world. Living not for ourselves and not how we think, but but actually saying, I want to be holy as you are holy. And I want to live unto you and my life be worshipped to you is consecration. And then finally, mission. That we would live on mission for the cause of Christ. That we would find our purpose and, and his plan for our lives. That we would partner with him in what he is doing in advancing his kingdom, not our kingdom. Because this is about him. And so I just, I wanted to, even as we start, I wanted to talk about those things. Because, because that's where we're going. That's who we are as desperation. And, and for those of you that have come before for years, you've signed up. And, and, and again, on Friday night, we'll have the chance to sign up. And, and, and this is an aim that we're living to. And it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect in it, but, but we're going to aim at it. We're going to go for it. And so I want to invite those of you that maybe have never signed this vow before to throughout this week to be praying about it. It's a pretty weighty thing. Be praying, okay, God, like, am I willing to say I want to be someone that lives unto this? And then on Friday night, we'll have the opportunity to do that. And so that's really who we are as desperation. Those four things really sum up a lot of, of the conviction that we want to live by. And as I said, we started as, as young people crying out for a move of God, crying out for an outpouring of the Spirit, saying, God, why not us? Why not now? And so if I was, if I was to title this little, this little message we have here, I, that would be it. Why not us? Why not now, God? We want to see you move again today. And so even as, as, as I said, as we talk about desperation, like what even is desperation? Like what does that really mean? And I'm sure some of you uh, this week, maybe as you told people that you were getting on a bus and driving through the night to come to desperation, you might have gotten kind of some, some weird, like des- what? Desperation? Like what does that mean? Like are you, are you trying to get a date? Are you desperation? I don't, I don't get it. Like, what, what, what is that? Which so, some of you answered yes. But that's not really the point of why you're here. But what is, what is desperation? And what does it look like that we want to live with desperation? And here's, if I'm honest. Can I be honest? Is okay. I try not to lie to you. But I want to be honest. There's times I, I just, I have this fear that, that we have turned the word desperation into a nice little phrase rather than a de- definition of who we really are. And it's nice to say we're going to desperation. And it's nice to say, yeah, we want to be a desperate people. But are we really a desperate people? And so my heart is that we would really be that. My prayer for us is that we would really live with desperation. But what does that even mean? I want to tell you a quick story. How many of you guys, uh, anybody ever been whitewater rafting? Anyone ever been whitewater rafting? Good, good. 
Anybody go whitewater rafting this week when it's freezing cold and raining? All right, all right. Anybody go this morning before coming here? You people are crazy, crazy. Living in Colorado, I have the opportunity to go whitewater rafting. It's one of the bonuses of living here. And uh, so I've been a number of times, and, and I love it, man. It's fun. And, and, and there's different, different times, are, are sometimes are good, sometimes are bad, right? Like, like sometimes you go, and the water is, just, there's been no rain, and the water is really low, and you're not whitewater rafting, you're just on a, on a float trip. Right? Nobody cares about a float trip. No one, if there's no danger, what's the point, right? And no one, no one, maybe some of you are like, ooh, a float trip, that sounds great. No, 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 that's not what I want, though. I want, like, the class four, class five. I want, the, I want there to be fear in my guide's eyes. You know what I'm talking about? Not just fear in the boat, but in the guide. He's like, oh, you know, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm wanting. And so I remember one time we went and it was pretty good water, you know, and we had had some good class threes and class fours and, and, and uh, good rafting. But we hadn't really gotten to the point, like we never, like the boat never tipped or no one ever fell out. And most of you probably think, oh, that was a good trip. But I didn't feel that way. I felt like, man, this was great, but couldn't it just be a little better? Like I haven't even been in the water today. So we're coming up on the last rapid and uh, I say to the guide, I'm like, hey, so like, what would happen if, say, I jumped out the boat and, and just kind of swam this last one? And uh, typical whitewater rafting guy, for those of you that have gone, maybe you know, you know, he looked at me and he was like, bro, dude, like, whatever, man. <laughs> so, so at the beginning of this last rapid, I accidentally fell out the boat and stranded everybody else, leaving their lives in danger. And I thought, yes, this is going to be so great. I'm going to swim this whole thing and it's going to be awesome. I'm going to have this epic story and it's going to be so good. And I've, I've been rafting before where we've actually fallen out in the middle of a rapid. But that's the point. When you fall out because of the rapid, you fall out in the middle because you've already passed the worst part that tipped you over and then you go the rest of the way. And that's what I'm thinking it's going to be. But no, not when you jump out of the very beginning. When you jump at the very beginning, you get the worst the whole time. And so I thought, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great. And instead, I died. I mean, I was in this water and I was up and down. I didn't know which way was which. I was hitting the bottom. And I was like, you know, they tell you not to touch the bottom. I didn't have a choice. I mean, I was like, I couldn't find. And, and I was, uh, you know what I needed in that moment? I needed to breathe. I was like, Lord, if nothing else Give me some oxygen. I'm dying. I have no oxygen. Do you know that in that moment, I did not think, wow, I am super hungry. No, I certainly didn't think, whoo, I'm thirsty. I wasn't thinking, hey, what am I going to do tomorrow? I was thinking, am I going to have a tomorrow? I need some oxygen. And then I'd like, and then like occasionally like my head would come up and I'd be like, oh, life. and then back down and you know, I'm going again and I'm like, I'm all over the place. I'm like, oh. And finally, finally I get through the end and I pop up from the bottom and I breathe in and oxygen feels my heart. And I open my eyes, blackness. And I was, and I was like, oh, I've died. I'm dead. It turns out I was wearing like a bandana on my head and it had covered my eyes. So I could, so as soon as I pulled that back, I was like, oh, I can see and breathe. Woo, I made it. Here's why I, I tell the story. In that moment, I was desperate 
for some oxygen. There was nothing else that I needed or wanted other than to be able to breathe again. I wasn't thinking of anything else. I wasn't writing out a list of priorities. I was, I was like, oh, I need oxygen. When we talk about what it means to be desperate, what we're talking about is the recognition that Jesus is what we need. And Jesus is actually the only one that we need. There is nothing else that can satisfy. There is nothing else that can answer. It is him and him alone. So when I talk about desperation, I would say that desperation at its core, what what, what that means is that we recognize the one thing that we need. And we have the determination to do whatever it takes to get that one thing. To recognize the one thing that we need. And the determination to do whatever it takes to get that one thing. So I kind of like put together this like little equation. I don't know why I I don't like math. My dad is a mathematician, so maybe that's why. But I just like, just very simple, you know, like desperation. I mean, we're just talking, just recognition plus determination equals desperation. Just the recognition. There is no other answer. There is nothing else. And I am going to, listen, seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, we're invited. And Jeremiah, we're invited to seek him. We're promised that if we seek him with all of our heart, we will find him. So when we recognize that Jesus is all we need and we are determined, I am going to seek him. That that is what it means to live in desperation. So I created that little equation. I tried to make an equation with emojis, but I couldn't figure it out. So maybe some of you that speak emoji better than me can, can tweet, tweet it to me or something. But this idea that we are desperate for him, and, we, and listen, it's not that we are hopeless. It's that we understand there is only one hope. It's not that we don't have any options. It's that we recognize that Jesus is our only option. And that's the kind of people that we want to be. That's the kind of people that we have signed up to be. So as I think of, even in scripture, of who maybe represents this and, and who is someone that, that really embodies this idea, I think of Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, there's a story of, of this woman. And she has a daughter and her daughter is very sick. And so I just, we're going to go through, I'm going to talk about this story real quick. So this is a little story time. It used to be, I used to do like story time with Uncle Dan. But uh, this past year, I've become a dad. So now I really have to work on my story skills. Because as an uncle, occasionally, but as a dad, i got to really work on this, right? So, so a little story, Canaanite woman, Matthew 15. And as we look at this, I just think of this idea of, of, of understanding the one thing that's needed. And, and, and whenever you say that phrase, the first thing I, I think of really is, is the life of David, right? And David... When he says in Psalm 27 that one thing I ask and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on him, to worship him, to behold his beauty. See, David understood. Notice David, he didn't say like, hey, like the only thing I'm ever going to do. Like David accomplished a lot in his life. You know, being a king, being a mighty warrior. He did a lot. But he said the one thing, the thing above all else, the thing that comes before anything else. Jesus confirmed this even in talking with Martha Martha is going around and she's working and she's trying to do all this stuff for Jesus. And and Jesus says, Martha, don't you know you're doing all this stuff? But Mary sits at my feet. She's chosen the one thing. She has chosen rightly. 
that Jesus is the one that we're seeking after. He is the answer. He is the one we're going for. And so in Matthew 15, this is the story of this, this woman. And she embodies this idea. And so she has a, a, a daughter who's sick. And she comes to Jesus and she, she comes up to him and she, she, she walks in the room and she starts crying out to Jesus. And if we read, we'll start in verse 22. It says, the Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David. So, so even that phrase right there, she recognizes, she says, you're the son of David. You are the Messiah. Lord, son of David, I know who you are. She said, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. She comes and she cries out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter, she's sick. And this is crazy phrase. Jesus did not answer her a word. Now that must be, I, that must be a typo. That can't be right. I don't know, I, I don't know your story. We all come different stories, different, you know, but, but like for me, so I grew up in, in, in church. I grew up going to Sunday school. And one of the things I learned is that, like, God always answers prayer, right? I mean, it may be yes, it may be no, it may be maybe, but he always answers, right? I mean, I mean, it may be a green light, it may be a red light, it may be a yellow light, but he always answers. But this woman comes crying out to Jesus, crying out, saying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, my daughter is suffering. And he did not even answer her. And I think the truth is that for many of us, that's probably how we feel oftentimes when we pray. I know I felt that a lot. I feel like I've, I've cried out to the Lord and I've come and I've asked and, and, and I'm, I've got nothing. I've heard nothing. There's been no response. And so the temptation is so easy when we cry out and we feel like ignored like this woman was to quit there. And so we're like, oh, I guess this whole prayer thing doesn't work. I tried it, God. You can't say I didn't try it. I mean, I asked you and you didn't say anything. You ignored me. Guys, what does it feel like to be ignored? But this woman, she didn't stop. She starts bugging the disciples. And so the disciples go to Jesus and they're like, hey, gee, listen, this lady, she's bugging us. Can you send her away? I mean, so first she's ignored and she keeps crying out. She starts bugging the disciples. Do you know why? I don't know if she was an incredible intercessor. I don't know if she had a history of prayer. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Maybe she was a little crazy. But this woman loved her daughter. And she knew that Jesus was the only answer. And so she kept asking. She didn't care if it was humiliating. She didn't care if she had been ignored. She kept asking. So then Jesus responds to her. All right, the story's getting better. And he looks at her and he says, hey, um, I came only for the lost sheep of Israel. What? I mean, Jesus, like, I'm not here for you. I mean, what? Okay, it's one thing to feel like ignored. But for Jesus to be like, hey, not here for you, bro. Like, that's not why I'm here. That would cause me to think, hmm, okay, God, I get it. You don't want to answer this prayer. I get it. Cool. I'm going to stop. Let me just whoop, forget I ever even asked. Right? Jesus, first he ignores her. And then he's like, hey, 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 hey. I'm not here for you. Huh? 
I mean, I don't know that, for me, I don't know that I've persisted in prayer enough past being ignored to even feel like I ever got that response. But if I did, wow, okay, sorry, Jesus, didn't mean to bug you. But not this woman. This woman didn't stop. Again, she might have been a little crazy. But she loved her daughter. And she knew that Jesus was the only answer. And so she kept asking. She kept asking. And then Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> All right, Jesus. You ignored me. I kept asking. You said you're not here for me. I kept asking. But now you're calling me a dog. Now you're insulting me. I don't know. Like, I might be done, right? It's like, oh, I'm not so cool with that. I mean, she, she was ignored. She was denied. Now she's being insulted. But she didn't stop. She kept asking. Because she loved her daughter. And because she knew that Jesus was the only answer. There was no other option. There was no plan B. No one else could answer. No one else could heal. No one else could set her daughter free. She kept asking. And Jesus looked at her and said, Woman, you have great faith. Your daughter is healed this very hour. And she was healed. Because this woman loved her daughter. And because she knew Jesus was the only answer. And because of that, that very moment, that very hour, her daughter was healed. Her daughter experienced freedom. Our theme this week is you make a way. And as much as, as, much as I absolutely love singing that song, it is far more than a song. It is a statement of the reality of the God that we serve. That when we, as people, see impossible, he sees no problem. That when we can't see a way forward, he says, I can make a way. I, there is no pr problem too big for me. And Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19 says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Friends, you have come here this week. And I don't know your story. I don't know what you're feeling. But my guess is that there are many of you, dare I say all of us, that need to come before the Lord and say, God, there are things in my life that I just can't see a way forward. I, I, I can't see my way out of this. I don't know the plan. It feels, it feels hopeless. I don't know if, there, if, it's, if, there's a, if it's depression. I don't know if it's addiction. I don't know if it's sin in your life. I don't know if it is, is a family situation. I don't know if it's something going on with a friend. But there's so many of us that, that we feel that there's things and we're like, ah, I don't know what to do. God, there's no way forward. And so maybe you've come here this week and you kind of feel like, God, this is, 
This is like my coming before you again and again. And I need you to answer. I need you to make a way where I don't see any way. And I have good news for you. Jesus is the answer. We serve a God who does make a way in the wilderness. He provides streams in the wasteland. Maybe some of you feel like you're in a wasteland and you're like, God, I need to experience you again. He says, okay. Because he's the one that bends back the bars that have caused us to feel imprisoned. He's the one that snaps the chains that have bound us. He's the one that takes our ashes and makes beauty. So as we've been praying for you, as we've been thinking about and praying about what God is going to do this week, we have prayed over and over again for your freedom, for your deliverance. Whatever it is, wherever you are at, whatever it is that is your thing, that like the Canaanite woman, you're coming before the Lord and you're asking, and you're saying, God, would you do this? I believe that this is a week of freedom. I believe that this is a week of healing. I believe that this will be a week where the Lord will come and meet you in a way that maybe you have never experienced before. And the bars that have imprisoned you will no longer And the chains that have bound you will be broken. And the ashes that we bring, he will take and make beauty. I believe it. But I believe it's also bigger than just us. It's not just about us as as individuals. It's not just us here in this room. We serve a God who I believe wants to make a way for this generation. We serve a God who I believe wants to do something in our day and in our time that he would make himself known. But do we recognize that he is the only answer? Do we live with that recognition and the determination to say, Jesus, you and you alone? Guys, as we look at the landscape of of our day, the hate that exists, the war that is breaking out, the pain, the destruction the racism, the separation, all of it. Do we not recognize that he is the only answer? There is nothing else. There is no one else. Wherever you're at and today, listen, your freedom doesn't come from your friends. Your freedom won't come from culture. Your freedom won't come from anything else other than Jesus. He is the only one. He is the only way. And he makes a way. And so, I, as I said, we, we started this whole thing, desperation. We started in crying out for God to move in our generation. And I believe that it's as true today as it was back then. The psalmist writes, let your mercy come quickly, for we are in desperate need. Do we recognize our need? Do we recognize that he is the only hope? He is the only answer? And are we willing to come like this woman, no matter what it takes, to keep crying out in prayer, to keep asking, God, would you come? Would you bring healing? God, would you bring freedom? God, would you break through? Are we willing to? Do we care about what God's doing across the earth? Do we care about our friends at school? Do we care about more than just ourselves? And are we willing to say, Jesus, we need you. We want you. You and you alone. One of the stories that I love to read about and 
and, and talk about, and so I know many of you have heard me talk about this before, is, is this thing that, that happened at, at the beginning, like 110 years ago. The beginning of, the, of you know, 1904. Is this thing called the Welsh Revival. And, and, and last year, some of, uh, some of our DLA students and, and staff, we got to go to, to Wales, and uh, we went to Cardiff and hung out with some of our great friends, a great church there. And then one of the days we went to this tiny little town uh, called Lacha. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful name. And uh, we went to this humble little room called the Mariah Chapel. And in this room, there was one time a, a prayer meeting with a bunch of young people, a bunch of teenagers crying out for God to move in their generation, crying out for God to move in their nation. And it actually started with this guy, his name was Evan Roberts, and it, it started with him when, when he was just early in his 12, 13, 14, he began praying for revival every day. He began asking God, would you move, would you come? God, we need you. And so then, fast forward, in 1904, they gathered together, and it's, I mean, it was a humble group in this humble little room, this tiny little room. And they began praying. And I, I don't know what happened, but the rumblings of the Holy Spirit began to happen. And what launched out of that little prayer meeting, that little room, shook an entire nation. As, as, as we've been there and hearing the story, just real quick, I don't want to take too long to talk about this, but in that time, over 100,000 people gave their life to Jesus as a result of teenagers praying and worshiping. So many people were coming to the Lord that actually uh, every morning they, they were having prayer meetings. They would travel to different towns in Wales and they would have these, little, they would worship and pray. It's what they would do. And people started coming. And then as the, people would come in, they would encounter the Lord and they would give their life to them. And it became such a big deal that the next morning, the newspapers would start to print the names of everybody that got saved the night before. Now, I, sorry, sorry, sorry. A newspaper uh, is a piece of paper. That, that you like read as the news you can check never mind so so that, whatever i mean they, they started printing the names of everybody that got saved and culture began to change and 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 everything about their culture began to change and like bars started to shut down because no one was going anymore and the the judges were 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 given these white gloves because the crime had ceased there was no more crime. Cops had nothing to do, so they were going to the prayer meeting because there was not crime happening at night because everybody was at the prayer meeting. My favorite is, is this fact that the, uh, the foremans, it was like a mining culture, coal mining, and, and the bosses, the foremans were getting angry because the donkeys stopped working because they couldn't understand the workers because they stopped cussing. And they were so used to hearing cuss words as their commands that now they didn't know what to do because the workers just had stopped cussing. And you know the beautiful thing about it is that they had gone there and they just worshipped and prayed. No one was telling them, hey, you got to stop going to the bar. No, it wasn't necessarily saying, hey, you got to stop cussing. It wasn't saying you got to stop doing crime. No, no, what was happening is they were encountering the Lord. He was meeting them and they were changed from the inside. And their actions followed because they were full of the Holy Spirit. And they began to look like Jesus. They weren't just trying to follow some rules. They were actually be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? The same one that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. That same one started to change him. And what that did is it began to change the entire nation. 
And then from those little prayer meetings, that one little nation, they touched every continent on the earth as this revival started to spread. I tell you that story because as we were in this room, we were just praying. We were crying out. We were saying, God, would you do it again? Not, not that same way. It doesn't have to look the same. I'm not saying that it has to be the same thing, but you, the one that was the same, that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you've done it before, then you'll do it again. Would you move in our day and in our time? So we started to sing this, this phrase, this idea. We, we just spontaneously, Caleb jumped up on this old keyboard. Probably, it was probably there during the revival. It was old. And he just started playing. And we started to sing this phrase. Why not us? Why not now? Why not this generation? God, would you move again? Would you move in a mighty and powerful way? Would you make yourself known to us? Would our nation be changed as we encounter you? Would the lives of young people be set free because they've seen you, they've they've met you, and they will never be the same? Would you do it today? Why not us? Why not now? Guys, that that prayer, I'm not talking about why not us, like just us in this room. No, 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 no. In our day, in our time, in this generation, across this nation and across the globe, today, we are a part of a bigger story that God is telling. And I believe that he desires to move if we would just, like this woman, recognize that he is the answer and come before him with determination. Jesus, we're seeking you. We're asking You are the one that brings freedom. You are the one that brings life. You are the one that brings hope. It's not that we are desperate with you. It's that we understand that all are desperate without you. And so would you come again today? Why not us? Why not now? Why not this week? If we come and we ask God, we present ourselves before you. And we say, here we are. Do with us as you please. I believe in my core that he will make a way where we don't see any way. That he will bring freedom and healing and hope and life. But mostly, mostly, he brings himself. And that's all we're really after. We're really after him. He is the one that we want. He is the one that, God, if if I can seek you and find you, then I'm going to keep seeking you. I love A.W. Tozer says this idea that, that to have found God and continue seeking after him is the soul's paradox of love. The fact that we have tasted and seen, we've encountered him. And do you know what that does in us? It causes us to say, ah, there's more to be had. And so we're going to keep asking. We're going to keep seeking. We're going to keep knocking. We won't stop, right? We can't stop. We won't stop. That's the kind of people that we want to be. That's where we're headed this week. My prayer is that that's where we go for the rest of our lives. So I want to do this, Corey, if you and the team want to come on out. I know that to start with, it would be really good to to start in a way that maybe we, we, we really focus on individually what our needs are. And I want to get there. Man, I want to pray for our needs. But if you'd go ahead, if you'd go ahead and stand with me as, as the team comes, we're going to worship and pray a little bit. 
But here's where I want to start. I want us to start this week, Desperation 2015. Not just crying out for ourselves, but crying out like in the early days when this thing first started. Crying out for a move of God in this generation. Crying out saying, Jesus, we recognize that we are in desperate need and you are the only answer. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite, first, we're going to start by inviting those of you that this afternoon, that you would say, man, I want to be marked with a desire to see God move in my generation. I want to come before the Lord and crying out like the Canaanite woman. I want to have this recognition of, of who he is. I want to understand that, that, that he is the only answer. And I want to live with the determination to see outpouring, to see revival, whatever you want to call it, to see awakening. I don't care what you call it, but to see a move of God today. If that's who you are, if that's what you're saying, man, I, I feel that, I want that. I want revival at my school. I want to see people worshiping at my school. I have a vision that, that there would be prayer on my campus. I believe that there, would be, that there would be moments where I can actually tell my family about Jesus and they would start to live for him. I want to see in our nation a turning back to him. And I want to cry out for that. And I want to do it tonight, today. And I want to keep on doing it for the rest of my life. If that's you, I want to invite you to go ahead and join me up front. Just go ahead and step out into the aisles and come up front. As we begin this week, crying out that we would live with desperation. That we would see God move. In our lives, yes. But in the lives of our friends, our family, our schools, this generation, the nations of the earth. God, may we not be content living lives just about our own little bubble. God, we're asking today, would you come? Would you move? Here in this generation today, in our day, in our time. Jesus, would you make yourself known? So here's what I want to do. I want to actually, let's start. If you would put your hands out, I want to pray for you. God, I pray that out of this room would come a swarm of revivalists. Those that are not content just living in the status quo, but that cry out to you and believe for you to move and believe that you'll move. And then understand that you are the hope of the world. You are our only hope. Would you mark us with that here today? Would you mark us with that in this time?